0: You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Munawar, founder and chief marketing officer here at Boutique Growth, where we help professional services firms build actionable marketing plans so they can generate more leads and win more business. Amazing amazing conversation for you here with Ali Hanif. Ali's just one of those guys. He's a good guy, he's a smart guy, he's a hustler. He's the guy that you want to win. He's the guy that you're rooting for and I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation in learning about Ali's journey going from, you know, the the fancy corporate life, the cushy job, the benefits, making the leap to starting his own firm and building a really, really impressive business for himself over the years. A few things I want you to pay attention to in this interview. The first is how Ali managed to position his company to go head to head with some very, very big competitors in the sales enablement space. The second thing is how he packaged a service that was very distinct. It was very unique from what everyone else was selling and got the attention of his ideal clients. And third is his approach to building a team, why he's building a team of people, how he's going about doing it, and the secret sauce to winning and attracting the best talent in the marketplace. You want to grab the show notes to this episode, head over to forecast.fm slash That's forecast.fm slash H-A-N-A-L-I. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free course on lead generation for professional services firms, you're going to want to check that out. Inside the course, I will show you a proven five-step process to generate a flood of new leads for your firm. You can get immediate access to the course free of charge at 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Here's Ali. Ellie, thanks so much for joining me here on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Listen, why don't we kick things off by telling me your backstory. What were you doing before, Hanley
1: I guess my career in sales is kind of accidental. So when I was in university, just like any other student, I was looking for a job. And I realized early on that I really wanted to land a job, like one of those bigger clients or well-paying jobs part-time because I wanted to pay for my tuition. And uh, I kind of stumbled upon a job which ended up being at the RBC call center in Mississauga, which is just outside Toronto. And that's really kind of where I got my first exposure to sales. I didn't even realize it at the time, to be honest. Basically, we were, you know, an outbound call center. Those people who would call, and I'm sure some of the people in Toronto receive those calls where they're asking you about, you know, balance transfers or renewing your GICs for your investments. Yeah, you're, um, you're the worst. (laughs) Yeah, we're the worst. And I don't even think we're allowed to do that anymore with do not call lists and stuff. But, you know, that job really quickly taught me how to deal with people over the telephone, really get to the point. The biggest thing I think I learned in that role was rejection, right? I mean, people call you all sorts of things or you get every single type of excuse not to take that call. And so it kind of you know broke my teeth in the industry in that sense. And uh, after that, I was kind of hooked, right? Because the money in sales is good. It is a difficult job. It is sometimes a gut-wrenching job on your emotions, but it is rewarding. And so after that, I moved on to Bank of Montreal in a very similar role. It was just closer to school because I was attending university downtown. And then closer to my last year of university, I really got like, I guess my dream job. So I, I went into business, studying business in school, because I wanted to start my own business. And I and I really love tech, right? So this was before, I guess, what's happened now with startups becoming huge. But I really wanted to marry the two kind of areas together. And so I got a job as an intern with what was then called Thompson Financial, and it's now called Thompson Reuters. So many people know Reuters as the news company, but they're also a very big player in the in the fintech world. So they compete with Bloomberg on providing kind of real-time market data, software solutions for people like traders or wealth managers. And so when I joined them as an intern, I kind of learned everything from the ground up, right? So there wasn't really a crazy training program for sales. You learn more about the product than about the sales process. And uh, I started working with really great people, people all over kind of the the company in terms of product specialists, sales managers, account managers. And I think that on-the-job training is probably the most priceless thing that I could have had. So yeah, I started off as an intern and then I ended up being there for about eight years. And when I left, I was an account manager managing a a pretty large book of business for uh, wealth management accounts in Canada and North America and some in Europe. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. One of my missions with Lee is to really teach people that sales is actually a career. You know, there's not that many programs, I think, in school. In fact, if any, you know, I mean, most people consider marketing as kind of like a, their footway into kind of sales. But I think sales is a very lucrative, prosperous career. And it's a skill that's very portable wherever you go, whether you're interviewing for a job or trying to pitch a product or pitch a presentation internally at your organization. Sales is definitely something that can help you get to where you want to go.
0: Well, I think sales is the best employment insurance you could ever have, right? If you could sell, yeah. you could sell something. Doesn't matter what it is, you're gonna have a job forever.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I know there's like big stuff about technology and artificial intelligence and stuff, but I think until the day comes where computers are signing the deals or or those big checks to buy, you know, whatever you're selling, I think, you know, human beings are good in that in that realm. And yeah, I mean, to your point, sales is a revenue generator, right? So it's one of the most important roles when you're hiring, uh, you know, when you're starting off or when you're scaling up your team and stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm just shocked that not enough people kind of consider it. I think it is becoming more prominent now, but uh, yeah, when I was doing it, I would never have dreamed of becoming a salesperson, right? Like most people, you know, they want to be accountants, lawyers, doctors, you know, design professionals and stuff. So, you know, I'm on a mission to kind of educate people about that for sure. That's excellent. So
0: I'm really interested to hear more about your story in starting and building Hanley. Tell me about the leap from Reuters account
1: manager to starting Hanley. For sure. So, um, you know, when I was in school, I wanted to start my own business and very quickly you realized you need a lot of capital to do so. So I ended up going the corporate route, which I think it was a big blessing in disguise. And I'll mention that when I get into the history of Hanalee, but essentially working in the corporate world really taught me how to sell to the enterprise and in the, in the B2B space, which is very different from selling to your regular consumer or online directly. Right. So I think that expertise is really important. So when I was at Reuters, I had the startup bug in me. A lot of my friends were starting their own businesses, you know, a lot of them were becoming you know professional services firms or not and not just startups. So they would ask me, you know, how do I sell to this type of person or like, you know, they would ask me questions about pricing, which is really important and people struggle with it, and they would ask me about how to market themselves and their business. And so it was almost like a consulting side gig. I mean, I wasn't really getting paid in the beginning. It was really to help my friends out. And then, you know, a couple of these guys hit it off and they did well and they were kind of recommending me to their friends and their colleagues, which is a great, you know, sales source is referrals. And so I started started charging a little bit. And then as I got, you know, deeper into it, I found that part of my life was becoming more interesting and more curious for me, I guess. And so at one point we had a friend who had a client of his that was a startup out in Quebec. They did like app development. And the guy had started a startup that was uh, selling a SaaS-based knowledge management solution. So think of like Evernote for your enterprise space and stuff. So I joined them as a VP of business development. And that was about, what, 20, 2012, I think it was when I left. And yeah, so I, I mean, I joined, I joined the startup. And, you know, you quickly learn a lot of things that are different, right? So big companies have huge budgets. You have a lot of people supporting you. I had a team around me and I joined the startup, which was like, I was the first sales guy out of like 38 engineers. Um, And and people were complaining, I was kind of one of the higher paid people too. And you quickly realize like, you know, if you have no team, you have to get on the phone and really grind it down. And in the startup world, a lot of it is like you doing stuff on your own and and scaling up to eventually hand it off to a team. But in the beginning, you're just grinding on the phone, grinding as many contacts as you can. And so that was a really big kind of eye-opening experience for me. And I think also expectations are different, right? When you're at a corporate company, you have opportunities to kind of up your performance. You know, there's people picking up the weight if you're not performing. But in a startup, if you're that person, if you let the team down, you let the whole company down. And so that's a thing I think people misconceive is when they think they're joining a startup, they're really wowed by the titles or the equity that they're getting. But at the end of the day, it's like it's not stable. It's a very volatile experience. And so emotionally, you need to be prepared for that as well as physically and mentally because it's quite taxing. So I did that for about a year, really learned kind of some hard lessons in that sense. And then I decided that I really wanted to start my own company because that's originally what I had wanted to do before I'd even join university. And so I went down the consulting gig. So, you know, your first client becomes your best client, becomes your only client becomes, you know, you become a contractor. So that was, uh, again, a learning experience for me. And then uh, about two and a half years ago, my wife and I had quite a serious car accident. We got T-boned at a turn and, um, you know, call it life changing or whatever it is. But I quickly realized that, you know, I don't have all the time in the world and I really want to do the work that I want to do that I feel like I'm going to be necessarily compensated for and rewarded for. So I I decided that, you know, I didn't want to be that consultant coach because that's what people would perceive me as being as like a sales coach or sales consultant. And there's a dime a dozen out there, as you probably know. So I really wanted to make it a company. I wanted to say like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to be building a team. So I want to build a brand. And so, you know, instead of focusing on getting any type of client just to pay the bills or generate revenue, I was like, you know what, my background is enterprise. I love working with companies that are selling to other companies. I follow the money in that sense. And so I really focused on something called sales enablement, which is, you know, for anyone growing a sales team or having a significantly large sales team or a smaller one, you have different types of challenges. Challenges. And so sales enablement is about removing those hurdles and helping your guys, you know, sell more, right? And, um, you know, there's different styles, men and women are different in the way that they sell or they perceive value. So I think that's really important. Content marketing is really huge these days, but it depends on the size of your organization. And so that's kind of how I kind of, I guess, stumbled upon what I wanted to do with Henley was to make it a firm about helping sales organizations or sales teams grow and really achieve the objectives of growing revenue. And that's the culmination of the experience. Experience that I've learned from my time on the phone to my time at Reuters to my time at the startup, you know, expectations need to be matched. Your sales conversations are very different. Your audience is very different. So you need to, you know, tailor the situation. And, um, you know, it's a lot about people as well. Right. So sales is not for everyone. I definitely think it's a scale people need to learn and can learn and master. But everyone's path is different to the kind of the end goal. Yeah. I love how you found a little sweet
0: spot for yourself here in sales enablement for the large B2B enterprise. And I I get how you came to target the enterprise because that was your experience at at Thomson Reuters and so on. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you settled on sales enablement as that kind of sweet spot service for Hanley.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, That's a great question, actually. So the reason I kind of focused on sales and MMO is when I was at Reuters, we went through as an organization many different changes, right? So you know, if you've ever worked in the corporate space, I'm sure you know the environment's always changing. Like change is constant, change is always part of the equation. And so salespeople often as being the front line see that more often than some of the other parts of the organization. And so we went through a couple of changes that did not work well, where we realigned the sales force with your product teams and with your marketing teams. We tried to specialize in different versions verticals. And the mission was good. The end result was supposed to be really good. And I think it did end up being quite well done. But the whole experience for staff, especially us as salespeople and some of our clients was quite painful because it wasn't a seamless experience. And so, you know, when we went through that change, we lost a lot of our momentum in terms of selling and, and some of the deals that we had. And so I think momentum is something that can kill you, especially if you're a small business trying to sell to the enterprise. You need to know how to keep the conversation going. And so, you you know, why I settled on sales enablement was I found a pattern in some of the problems, some of the clients that we were kind of talking to and, and consulting with in terms of there's sometimes a disconnect between sales and marketing. So marketing guys hate the sales guys because they're not producing, they're not using the content that they're producing. And the sales guys hate the marketing guys because they're like, they're not giving us the content that we need for our conversation. So that's an often a quick starter for us to get in where we're kind of bridging the divide and, and helping them kind of reconcile. The other area where sales enablement, I think, is quite you know important is, you know, content marketing is very important. Everyone is trying to produce content because they think that will give them inbound leads. And I think it does to a certain extent, but there's so much content out there for your customer. Right. And so how do you make yourself stand out and how do you kind of grab their attention? And more importantly, it's like, You don't just write a blog article just to post on your website and share on social media. I mean, that doesn't do anything, right? Like hits to your website doesn't mean anything in terms of likes or positive engagements. Those things are good. But at the end of the day, until they pick up the phone or send you an email or like, say, I'm ready to buy or give you some sort of signal, it doesn't generate any revenue. And so one of the things that we focus on is if you want to do content marketing, if you want to advertise, you know, let's make sure that you're actually maximizing your budget and optimizing it for some sort of lead gen right? And that's an area where sales movement kind of really kind of comes in and, and fills in the gap. The other area too is like people. So one of the hard lessons I learned was when I joined the startup, I think I wasn't the right person for them at the time. They really wanted someone who was going to really grind and really dial the phones and just get them those initial sales because their expectations were getting revenue quite quickly as just as any startup was. And when I was speaking to them, it was more about, you know, you're going to be building a team. You're going to be like this VP of development. So I got kind of caught with the title game and it wasn't not like that. Like there was no one on my team. So I was the sales guy. And so I think expectations are very important, not just around what you're doing as a salesperson, but also what your goals and your compensation are, because that's ultimately at the end of the day, money is a big factor, not the only factor, but that does drive kind of the motivation of any salesperson. They're willing to deal with the volatility and the rejection because they know at the end game is going to be quite lucrative and rewarding for them. And so I think that's another part of sales enablement that's quite important. So, yeah, I guess for me, the way it came about of really settling on it was I was just matching my a lot of my own experiences and experiences talking with clients. And there was just a pattern like it was always one of these, you know, couple of buckets or these areas where, you know, we would kind of get the conversation going and go from there.
0: So in the enterprise space, you know, I know some of the names of the clients that you work with from our previous conversations. These are big brand name clients. Most people on the call would recognize the names. Sure. Uh, And you're offering sales enablement as a service, which is, again, an area that most of the big consulting firms have some kind of offering in, and they likely are working with your clients alongside you. How have you managed to kind of carve out a space for yourself and win some of these deals in competing with the larger firms?
1: So, yeah, I I think, um, and this, I guess, could apply to anyone starting off their business or maybe transitioning. I think it's super important to grow your network and really keep in mind that your network, when you're on the job in a corporate environment or in any career, to envision what that network will be like, should you leave your job or should you you know, kind of transition to another role. And so the first time when I left Reuters, I have had very good relationships with some of my clients and um, also internally with a lot of people in the organization because they're also people that leave and, and, and grow their careers. So I managed to get a, a couple of referrals to some of my clients or, or more importantly, some of my clients own network. So friends of theirs or colleagues of theirs in that area. And um, originally, I didn't really think of that as a lead gen or potential early base of customers. It was just really asking for favors or just seeing if anyone needed my help or the help of the firm. And so the second time when I really branded Hannily as a company versus as a consulting, you know, me as a freelancer, that really helped because they kind of understood that, you know, I'm in it to grow a team and my team now is about four people. That helped me kind of go. So like with some of the ones that we talked about, like the large telecom provider of you know, there's only about three or four in Canada. The way I got in with them was I wasn't going after them as an account, right? I just wanted to work with a specific division within their team that I had kind of an exposure to. And so just like any sales process was finding out who the decision makers were, because when you're in the enterprise space, it's usually more than one person and they have very different interests. So kind of finding out who the kind of power players were, figuring out a way to kind of get in touch with them. So, you know, cold emails work and phone calls work. It's like a lottery game. So for every hundred calls or emails that you get, maybe one percent of those will close. So I tried that route. But really where it it kind of got me my foot in the door was really just going after people that I knew at that telecom company, regardless of the division, and just trying to figure out a way to kind of get them to introduce me to that person once step closer, one degree closer to them. And um, I think the main thing is when you're trying to go after the enterprise space or an account, don't try to target everyone or everything. Just focus on the team or the department where you think your value is. And, you know, if they say no, that's not necessarily a no from the account. It's just no from that department or the team because it's such a huge organization. And most of these people don't talk to each other on a daily basis. You know, that's kind of how I got through the door in in telecom companies. The other area, too, is I think in terms of publishing content and sharing knowledge or or thought leadership is, I guess, some of the terms that we use. I got a hedge fund client in Australia, and I never really wanted anyone in Australia. I wasn't even looking for clients out there. But publishing on platforms where your audience or your key targets are, is probably the best thing that you can do. So, you know, I'm not on Facebook as much as I should be or I want to be because most of my enterprise or professionals are on LinkedIn. And as much as LinkedIn is kind of talked about as being kind of a little bit of a boring network in in a way, I think for me, it's been a really great kind of driver of leads or, or growing my network. And so I would say that the easiest thing you can do for zero dollars of, you know, of your money and, and just a half an hour, or 45 minutes of your time is publish an article, publish something that you've learned, whether it's a story about a problem that you solve for a client, a learning experience, something that's trending in the industry, and put it on LinkedIn. It's words. You don't have to worry about recording. You don't have to worry about the video quality. Just put it out there. Do a little bit of research about how to structure the article. Obviously, should be a a little bit short because people are looking at their mobiles and, and kind of going down their screen make it catchy have a good title and um do it constantly, right? Be persistent. Sales is about persistence, right? You have to keep doing it because you're creating your own luck. And um, the way it worked with that is I published an article, this guy who ended up being a sales manager at that hedge firm, you know, they were marketing high net worth individuals kind of said, hey, like, I really liked your article, I've had the same challenges. Can we just get on a quick call and talk about like kind of your, your learning experiences are? So it wasn't even for me a sales call, it was just like, okay, so this guy wants to just talk about experiences. And what happens is, is when you deliver value and you deliver it consistently consistently. consistently without an expectation of getting something, the natural kind of path of a conversation is people will get interested in you because you're building trust with them. And so I didn't even have to make the ask of how can I help your organization. He introduced me to their head of marketing and she was like quite experienced as well. And that led to another conversation that eventually went to the CEO. And so, you know, to my point, it's like you just basically need to have your conversation in terms of your value, figure it out. You should be delivering value at every part of your conversation. and have a natural path about what stories fit in, where, and at what time in that sales conversation. Excellent. So a couple of really important points
0: there. One is use your warm relationships to get those early stage referrals, to get your foot in the door. Second is to produce content, which I think is critical because as you know, I'm, I like content. So Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but it's critical because the bigger firms, you know, they struggle with content. It's not as easy. And the content they produce is typically very impersonal, very corporate. And that's a great way to stand out for a, a smaller firm, a boutique firm. I'm also curious, though, about whether your offering itself was clearly differentiated from the larger competitors.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. So, uh, no. So originally, when I first started off, it was kind of the whole shebang, right? So I had this thing that, you know, I can help sales organizations kind of get over the hurdle and sell more, right? And so I think when I started off, that was way too general. So everyone kind of boots that, right? There's all those packages that you can buy 20% increase in your revenue or or buy this software solution and, and you know, save time for your salespeople. So that didn't work for me. And I, I very quickly learned that was a difficult conversation to have. It was too general. And so I think in the enterprise space, you want to get to a point where your value 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 offering is literally you're talking in the room and they're nodding their heads or they're taking their notes or they're just saying, oh, I've had this problem. And so you know, going back to when I was talking about how we get our foot in through the door with some of these clients, whether it's a disconnect between sales or marketing, or it's it's trouble in terms of compensation or hiring or, you know, the content that fits in your sales process. Those were conversations I noticed when I said something around those lines, people started saying, okay, I have that problem. I think, you know, I want to learn more about what you're doing. And so I think it was just a a matter of like, you know, I like design thinking. So it was iteration, right? So I had these assumptions. I, I studied the extremes where people were having their problems. And I started doing these little experiments of saying, OK, so how about if I packet something where it's like, you know, for X amount of dollars, for X amount of time, we will solve this problem for you and you will get a deliverable. And so some of the packages that we had worked and some of them did not work at all. And so we learned to kill them quite quickly. And so where we are now is, you know, we have these, I guess, you know, I like to think of it almost like products, but let's say they're packages where, you know, for your size of organization, or maybe for the goals that you have, we will do X amount of work for you in these specific areas. And they're usually around tech people, processes, and a little bit of training. And you will get, you know, certain amount of results or some kind of deliberate where you can say it's like, okay, so I've got something that solves a problem and it's solving the problem to help me increase by X amount or whatever. And sometimes we even tie in our compensation to that. So people know when we're in it for the win, right? We're in it to get them to perform. We're not like a regular consultancy where it's like, you know, we almost create the problems that we're solving and hope to come back to create more of them and and solve them and keep going. You know what I mean? Like, and people do that, right? That's quite well known in the industry. Like retainers are a huge thing. So yeah, I mean, we're very goal specific and we focus on sales, right? I mean, I could get carried away with the marketing. I'm, you know, I'm sure you know how important content marketing is. I think we do a little bit of that, but that's not our strength, right? Our strength is like, we need to grow your revenue, we need to grow in an X amount of time by X amount, and that's what we're here for. So I think specialization is is super important, and it's, it's funny, right? So I think going from a generalist to a specialized thing is people trust you so much when you do your job really well that other opportunities will come out of it. And so you kind of go full circle and you start to generalize a little bit, right? So originally we would work with a lot of content partners to help us create the content that the salespeople need. And we still do. Cause I think again, I'm not a design shop. Like we do have design people on our staff, but that's not our core strength, but we did realize there is an opportunity to sell content and create content for some of these customers because they don't know where to start. And if there's no content there, then there's really nothing for, us to kind of use in our conversation so it's an important piece and so when you do your job well as a specialist other opportunities will come that will help you in the future to kind of expand your product or service offering
0: yeah no i love that because it's simple right everyone knows what it's like to bring in one of the bigger firms is they come in and there's all these conversations and they whine and they dine you and you know, the, the bill goes up to probably, you know, tens of thousands of dollars before they actually have something concrete to offer. Whereas, right. you know, you come in handily, you're talking to the same clients, you're solving a specific problem, you've got a clear process, and they know what they're getting, which is really, exactly. that's the most important thing, right?
1: It's super important, for sure.
0: Excellent. So let me ask you this. You know, I know you've gone down the path now of building a firm, right? So you went from kind of freelancer, coach, consultant, you know, building a firm, building a practice. you got four people, and I'm sure you've got ambitions to grow. How do you go from, you know... Ali being the guy that gets a relationship, gets the business, does the work to then, you know, building a team and having them do what you otherwise would have done. How do you make that leap?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important part of growing your business, right? I I think the one recommendation I would have is, and if I was to go back and and kind of rethink what I did right and wrong, I think the biggest thing is, is to always envision what your company is going to be like in the future, right? And then, You know, people do the five-year, two-year, one-year plans. I think that's important to have written down somewhere because it's a checklist, right? And like at the end of the day, you need some sort of path to know where you're going, right? It's not about like, I'm gonna be a billionaire, or I'm gonna have this amazing job or career, or like I'm gonna retire, that could be your end goal. But I think what you have to do is, when I branded it as a company, even though at that time I was still one person, I found conversations were different, right? So with the sales client that I was trying to close, it wasn't about negotiating on the hourly rate, or like nitpicking on these small different things. It was like, okay, so he has a company, they don't really necessarily know you're one person, two people, or whatever. I think that's important to make sure that people understand they're they're dealing with a company. And so negotiations I found were automatically very different in terms of transitioning from doing everything from pitching to doing the work. I think that was the one thing I think I struggled with. Right. Because when you're by yourself, I think you're a lot harder on yourself in terms of the quality of the work that you're doing. Like you want to make sure that you do your best work all the time. And I think perfectionism can kind of get in the way because like you need to let your work go and you need to make sure you move on because the danger is, is when you're doing too much of the work, you're not worried about generating new business because those projects end or those clients will go away. And so you have to really balance your time between having, you know, those client new business generating conversations and doing the work. And so I think that was a struggle for me in the beginning. And I quickly realized that, hey, I can't grow this to where I want it to be. And I don't necessarily want to be doing the work forever because like I need to have those conversations with, with new clients or with new prospects. So I think the biggest thing was is hiring the right people and knowing when to hire them at the right time. Because I learned the hard way when I joined the startup that they didn't need to hire me as such an experienced rep. They needed to hire someone junior to grow the team and then have a more experienced person come in. And so that's the mistake that I really wanted to avoid because it impacts people's lives, right? Like I left a really good job to join a startup. I didn't need, need to necessarily do that. And so not everyone has that kind of opportunity. So I think one what type of person I wanted at what time in my organization. So when I hired my first person, it was a junior person that I kind of trained, but they had the same behavioral kind of path that I had when I was in school and trying to get a job. They wanted experience they were willing to learn. They had a little bit of a sales background to when I hired like the fourth person, it's more experience in terms of like they know how to run like a project that goes on with an enterprise client. And so I think that's been really good for me in terms of like I know who I want to hire. I know who I want to work with and really transitioning from being being the guy doing the work to really coaching people and helping them learn and helping them grow to where they want to go in their opportunities. Right. And I know these people won't stay with me forever, obviously. But I think at the end of the day, it's like if you help people and they really get something from you, it builds loyalty. And also they become like your biggest promoter. Right. Like I've gotten client referrals from these people because they just love doing what they're doing with us. So, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is you need to kind of envision where your company is going to be tomorrow, you know, day after tomorrow in the next couple of years and really just stick to that path is like act bigger than you are without really you know don't lie and deceive but like act bigger than you are act like a company you know there's no reason i'm i was one person and i got like that big telecom client right and it's not because i was targeting the whole organization it's just like i just wanted to get their logo i just wanted to get experience with that vp of marketing who would refer me to other people and so i think that's really really important and I think it's unbelievable, right? Like five, 10 years ago, or maybe when our or when our parents were working, it was unheard of for like a freelancer to go after a large contract, right? And, and times have changed, right? And I think enterprise clients are trying to be more nimble. They're trying to be more startup-like lean as well. And so I think that's another good thing that we're living in a good time period for that as well. Oh, absolutely. Small is the new big. Exactly.
0: Ali, I love what you're doing. I love this story. This has been a great conversation, very insightful. I appreciate you coming on the show. How can people find you if they want to look you up?
1: Oh, for sure. So look me up definitely on LinkedIn. It's just Ali Hanif, or you can hit me up on our website, www.hanali.co. So H-A-N-A-L-I.co. Awesome. Links
0: to that will be in the show notes over at forecast.fm slash Hanali. Ali, thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Just a quick wrap up to the conversation. I hope you learned as much as I did from this interview. I mean, there's a ton of just good old-fashioned sales advice in that conversation. That wasn't the point of the interview, but you probably learned a lot about sales and business development from that conversation. But I hope you got a lot out of the journey. I think the journey that Ali went through and going from the corporate job to starting his own firm, finding clients, working his network, getting referrals. It's a journey that a lot of us can really identify with. Either we've been through it or we're going through it or we're about to go through it. Either way, I think there's a ton that you can learn from Ali's experience. And if you wanna grab the show notes to this episode and look up Ali and follow him online, you can go to forecast.fm slash Hanali. That's forecast.fm slash H-A-N-A-L-I. Finally, if you like the show, if you like what you're hearing, do me a favor head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. The easiest way to do that is to go to forecast.fm slash iTunes. Click on the link there. It'll pop up iTunes on your desktop or your mobile. And there you can leave us a rating and a review. It helps more people discover the show. And I would be very, very grateful. Thank you so much for listening.